0: I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, but I want to start out by asking you to be completely honest, I'm going to raise your hand, I want you to raise your hand if what I say applies to you, and you have to be honest, don't don't hold back, we're not going to react or respond or kick anyone out or give anyone any awards for raising your hand, but I want you to raise your hand if you've ever been bored in church, raise your hand. All right, thank you. That's almost everybody, if not everybody. I've been bored, and sure. I've been bored during one of my own sermons. I was so bored during one of my own sermons once. I almost fell asleep while giving the sermon. That's how bored I was. That's a bad sign. Uh, how, how about this? Did any of you grow up in a home where Sunday was just like? the other days of the week, but more so kind of like Saturday. It was just a nor- like a part of the weekend and you didn't really value church that much. You didn't go to church uh, maybe once in a while, maybe Christmas and Easter. Otherwise, Sunday was just kind of like Saturday. Maybe some of you grew up at home like that. Or how about this? Your experience with church is, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good thing. As a matter of fact, in our house, you have to go to church. And on Sunday morning, it's just... It's just a rugged rat race, and uh, the whole family is trying to get ready and trying to get into the bathroom and trying to eat breakfast and throwing a Pop-Tart in, as, wolfing it down as you head out the door, and Dad's in the car honking, you know, everybody, and, and Mom's trying to corral everybody, get ready to go, and everybody argues all the way to church, and you forgot your your, your your purse or your phone, and you get to church, and then it miraculously heals everything, and you never behave like that again. I have good news today. That's not how God intends Sundays to be. That's not how they're supposed to be, any of those. As a matter of fact, God wants Sunday to be the best day of your week. And Psalm 122 tells us exactly why. It's written by David, and it's from David's experience. And uh, so what we want to do is, is with Psalm 122, see Sunday as the best day of the week, really as a solution to, to some of the stress and troubles we experience the other days and even on Sunday itself. it's Sunday's a solution. And I tell you what, the pace of our world today is killing us, literally. And the priorities of society around us are making us behave in ways that we don't necessarily want to behave, that we're, we're putting some things in priority as the most important when we really don't feel like they're the most important. And Sundays are a solution to that. So you feel like there's so much to do, and everything's about a to-do list, and you have to perform and work hard during the week, Sundays are not about you performing or doing anything. They're all about God's work and what He's already done to give to you as a gift. The rest of the week can be all about stress and pressure. Sundays are about rest. They're about being relieved from that stress and pressure. We don't get to spend enough time with our family and with our loved ones that, that we're close to. Sundays provide a perfect opportunity to do just that. Or it can be a little confusing during the week. Do you believe the Democrats or the Republicans or those who are in between? Do you believe this blog or that blog, uh, that editorial, or what your grandma taught you? It it can be confusing during the week or even making choices about multiple options, about career, about habits, about your family. Sundays give clarity to that as we see God's truth and he guides us through life. See how Sundays can be a solution to the way that the rest of the world lives the rest of the week. And we're caught up in that too sometimes. I want to tell you that uh, God wants all kinds of people in church every Sunday. God wants this place to be packed. He wants you here. God wants Sunday to be the best day of your week. And He wants you, when you come to church, to have a great experience here. Once upon a time, in our country, in America, this is probably for some of you when your parents were kids, maybe for some of you when your grandparents were kids and growing up, um, once upon a time, Sundays were protected. Right? Either you remember this or you've studied this or your grandparents have told you about this. There was a time in our society, in our communities, here in Pflugerville even, when there were no soccer games on Sunday. And there was a time when Sundays by society were protected. There was a time when you could go to the movies or watch TV and you could watch Leave it to Beaver Right? And, uh, and those kind of shows, my three sons, uh, maybe not Gilligan's Island, but maybe. Or even before that, they would, they would just assume that Sunday was a day that was different than all the others. It was a day when people went to church. Now, sociologists point to that, who, sociologists who are interested in religion, and they, they've watched the, uh, if you're looking at a graph here, they've watched the peace and happiness and contentment of our society take a dive even as they've watched church attendance in our society take a dive, and they, they relate the two. Uh, I don't know if more people come to church because they're content or more people are content because they're going to church. A little of both. But it just shows you how Sunday, even sociologically, is a solution. I'm not so interested in sociology today as I am in the spiritual component of what it is that makes Sunday so great, and we're going to see that here in Psalm 122. But we have to begin with this. We have to begin by admitting that, that Sundays today in our society are a problem. They're a challenge. And they're a problem and a challenge because we so easily get caught up in the pace of of the world and in the priorities of the world. And today our world and our society values production and busyness and activity. There's always a to-do list. There's always another email to check or voicemail to return. We have more time-saving apps today than ever in world history, and yet we're more overwhelmed and overextended than ever in history. How do those two... where's the disconnect? It's about what's important to us and what we value, and we have failed... To let our margin time, our extra time, be margin time and extra time. We've filled it with stuff, with busyness. And so there is a problem and it is a challenge. And uh, what I want to tell you is three lies that are out there that harried and hurried people are going to need to address when it comes to Sunday. And I, I tell you this. Not to make you feel bad, but but to open, just to open our eyes and to see this because we all so easily fall prey to this and there are deceptions, there's lies so we don't usually see them. But here's lie number one, things will settle down someday, there's going to be a time like next Wednesday, if I just get through next Wednesday, I'm not going to be so overextended and overwhelmed, I won't be as busy and I'll have time for what's important. And then next Thursday comes and what happens? Still the same overextension and busyness and workaholism. And the only way that things will settle down for you is if you die or if you're lying in a hospital bed because of stress-related disease or illness or injury or if you're intentional about not being overextended and crazy busy. One of those three. It's the only way that things will settle down. Number two, beyond things will settle down someday, right? More will be enough. If I just get that one thing that I've been with, that new pair of shoes or that new iPhone, if I get that promotion or the career that I want, if, I, if we get that house, we've been, if we get that, that will be enough. And then what happens? It's not enough. Then we need the next thing too. That's how materialism operates in our world and it really deceives us. You know what? A new iPhone is not evil or bad or a sin, nor is a new pair of shoes or a new house or a new job or a promotion. None of those are sinful unless... Unless we treat them like that next thing is going to make the difference in my life. It's going to save me. Then it's a savior and replaces Jesus as our savior and it's an idol. Then it's a sin. Then it's bad. So it's not so much the things that we have to watch out for, but our attitude toward those things and the attitude of, if I only have fill in the blank, then I will be content. Then I will be happy. That's lie number two that we have to be aware of. Third lie, after lie number two, everybody's busy. Everybody is crazy busy and overwhelmed and, and overextended. No, that's, all, that's not true. I know people who are, who are not overextended and overwhelmed. I know people who are busy but not crazy busy. All right? They're a balanced busy. They're a chosen busy, not a chasing the tire by the tail busy. They've, they've made it uh, a choice They've made it a life priority to not succumb to the to the busyness of society. Uh, so busyness is not a sign of strength. It is a sign of weakness. Being overbusy and overextended and crazy busy in a bad, overwhelmed way is not a sign of strength. Our society tells you it is. Our society says you are a rock star if you work 95 hours a week. No, God says you're crazy if you work 95 hours a week on a consistent basis, maybe one or two weeks, fine, but not on a consistent basis. So be careful of those lies, and those are background for for making Sunday what it is and giving it time. So now here's the answer to all that. The answer isn't just knowledge about what the lies are, but the answer is being willing to see how important Sundays are and what they give to us as a gift, and that's, and that's peace. Contentment. Ease. Being able to relax. Living with a sense of, of enduring peace. All of that happens on Sunday. Uh, in Psalm 122, David no less than five times refers to peace. Peace. Now, it's interesting that King David, you may not describe him as a man of peace. As a matter of fact, God didn't even describe him as a man of peace. God said to King David, David, because you uh, uh, engaged in such violent warfare and bloodshed, David, because you have blood-stained hands from so much much war and so many battles, David, you cannot build my temple for me. You are not going to build it because you, you are in so much war and so much bloodshed. And maybe you know the story that David even was a murderer himself when he was engaged in this affair with Bathsheba and concocted this murderous plot to kill her husband, and he did. David had blood on his hands in numerous ways. And yet he can write psalms like this that indicate he was a man who was living in peace. With God. And this is not a fake peace. This is not a dreamy peace. This is a. David was a man who lived in peace because he knew what peace was. He knew that peace is not something you achieve, peace is not something that you fake. Peace is a gift, a gift from God. And David was fully confident that he received that gift, just like you do too. Sunday, you, you are not going to hear anywhere else unless you're in, in your Bible during the week or, or watching a decent TV show or listening to a podcast uh, that's decent and biblical. Otherwise, you're not going to hear this important message that you need to hear regularly. And that is, you're at peace with God. You may not have blood in your hands like David did, but you have other sins that convict you under God's law. And too many people live with the guilt and the shame of that without realizing God has done the work. See, real peace requires a battle at some point against the enemy to make peace. And Jesus has already made peace for you by by fighting the battle and by winning the war. He fought your sins, every one of them. He fought their guilt and their shame and he put them to death at the cross. And then he rose from the dead to show that he had power over sin, power over guilt, power over Satan's temptations, power even over death. So there's nothing you need to do. There's no work on your part to achieve peace. That's what keeps a lot of people away from church. They're like, I, I, haven't, I haven't arrived at this place yet with God. I haven't done enough. I, I feel crummy about my behavior. I don't know if I'll fit in. And, and they get the wrong idea that they have to achieve peace. And peace isn't something you externally do. It's something you internally have that God gives in his son Jesus. Peace. And again, you're not going to hear that anywhere else except here on Sundays. And it's so important for your soul to hear that and to take it in that you're at peace with God. I want to show you the first verse here of Psalm 122, verse 1. And uh, this is where, where David tells us what his attitude is towards Sunday. So, someone invited David to church. Someone said, David, let's go to church. And and this is David's response. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. David is fired up about going to church. He's not like, ah, yeah, I got to go to the lake. I'm sorry. Ah, oh, I had, oh, it was just a late night. The game almost went into overtime. And I just, I need some sleep. Congratulations to those of you who are here today after going to the game last night. Good for you. Right? David doesn't offer any excuses. He doesn't, he doesn't rebel against this idea. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. David is so excited to go to church. I can give you five reasons why. Five reasons why David is excited to go to church right here from Psalm 122. Um, listen carefully. I'm not going to throw the verses up there, but I'm going to tell you what they are. Beginning with this verse, Psalm 122, verse 1. Right, David says to me, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Whose house? The Lord's house. Whose house? Whose house? Okay. Now, if it's the Lord's house, who's in charge? Pastor Darren, I'm glad you laugh. I'm not in charge. I just try to give you what, what the Lord wants you to have. The Lord, it's, it's His agenda here. You don't have to worry about putting together the perfect agenda or, or having the perfect makeup or outfit or impressing the Lord in any way. This is, this is His house, and He says, you're welcome. And He says, any sin is forgiven. And he says, you're my child. I want you here on my lap so I can whisper in your ear and maybe tickle you a little bit and get your attention and give you some words of wisdom to send you out for the week. And if it's the Lord's house, who is doing all the work? The Lord. You're here as his guest. And he wants to serve you with a feast of his forgiveness and his love. All right, so the house of the Lord. That's number one good reason to go to church. It's the house of the Lord. Second, David wanted to go to church because he loved being with God's people. This is where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord, David said. Oh, this this is our tribe, right? We know each other. We love each other. We're open to embrace others who want to be part of our tribe. And that's an important part of our life. Community and relationship is something that God designed in us. And we we can't live without it. And uh, we're a tribe here at Holy Word. And uh, that's a blessing to us. David realized that. Third and fourth, also in this verse, verse 4, David says, he goes to church to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. See, David, number three, the reason he liked church, he wanted to honor God. He wanted to glorify God, to praise God. See, sometimes we need an outlet to tell God how significant He is to us. We need an outlet to thank Him in such a special way where just a a short prayer of thanks in our own homes doesn't feel like it quite cuts it, but we appreciate that. We have to have this special outlet, kind of like a birthday party. You have just a special moment when you you show someone you care for them and love them and it's beyond a normal day. So our special moment with God is Sunday when we have this special outlet and we have musicians who guide us and we can, in a full-throated singing or speaking, let it all out and thank God in ways and sing in ways we can't sing in the shower or in the car because we bring together these resources here for worship. And we do it because God tells us to do it. And because He's our, our Father, our loving Heavenly Father, we love doing what He says. It's our message to Him saying, God, I love you and I trust you and, and what you say is important. I believe what you say. You know what? You, you would read a blog that says that this is the best lasagna recipe ever and you would make that lasagna and you would serve it to guests and you would say... Believe it or not, I am serving you the best lasagna ever. You would watch a YouTube video about how to change uh, the distributor cap in your car, and you would trust that video and do exactly what it says. You would uh, take a, a personal trainer and follow their recommendation for a, for a fitness routine. You would listen to your doctor. Okay, We, we listen to all kinds of people and places in this world That we believe that what they tell us is the truth. God is the only really perfect one, and everything he tells us, everything he tells us is the absolute truth. And then he loves us, and he believes in us, and he's perfectly wise. So there's this joy and confidence in doing what God tells us to do. Even when our inner person and inner heart tries to argue, we say, no, this is what God says, and it's right. So that's the fourth reason. Sometimes you just go to church because God says to do it and it's the right thing. Finally, David goes to church because it's a place to, to seek peace, not just for yourself, but for your church and for the community. We talked about peace a lot, the peace of Jerusalem, right, in Psalm 122. This is a place where we seek peace, first in our own hearts, then with each other. And in our community, we're going to share that peace with each other later. In the blessing, some of you know what I'm talking about. If you have traveled overseas and experienced jet lag, you know what our circadian rhythm is, right? That's a term scientists use for the fact that our bodies want to be awake during the day and asleep at night. Awake during the day, sleep at night. That's our circadian rhythm. Right, if you've worked first shift and then switch to third shift, something, right? You, you understand your body needs that kind of rhythm. Or during the day when you're sitting at your desk or in front of your computer uh, or you're driving to your next appointment, oh, oh, you, you, you get that point where you need to yawn and stretch, right? Maybe you get a little antsy or you can't focus. You are experiencing what scientists call our ultradian rhythm. That's the same as circadian rhythm, except throughout the day, our ultradian rhythm means we need a break every 90 to 120 minutes. Scientists have studied this. Our bodies are made to need a break, to need rest. God knows that. That's why God gave us the Sabbath. Sabbath is an Old Testament word. It's a Hebrew word, and Sabbath means Rest. And God designed our bodies to crave rest. To be functioning and performing at a level that might be stressful, but then to be not functioning and not performing at a place where we are rejuvenating, refueling, not functioning, not working, getting rest. That's true in circadian rhythm, it's true in ultradian rhythm, and it's true in the weekly rhythm of Sunday worship. And God set that out for us way back. When did the Sabbath come into existence? This is a trick question. This might get some of you. When did the Sabbath come into existence? Not in the Levitical law. Not in the third commandment. Way before that. I hear some of you say in creation, right? So here it is. Genesis tells us that uh, the Sabbath came into existence, right? By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work he, work of creating that he had done. Now, do you get this picture? by God's creating the world. And by day six, he's like... Whoo! I did it all. I made the I made the animals. I made the pla- or I made the plants. I made the, the fish. I made the birds. I just gotta I just gotta create cows, goats, and people. I can do this. I can get it done. Ready? Let there be cows. Uh, let there be people. Oh oh oh! I'm done. And that was then. He needed day seven to catch his breath. Do you get the picture that that's what it was like? God was tired. God doesn't get tired. The Bible says God doesn't sleep. He didn't get tired. Why did he rest then if he wasn't tired? It's more than simply ceasing his activity. It's more than simply, I'm gonna stop now. I'm not gonna create anything else. It's more than that. There's other verses in Genesis, and you can see him as a matter of fact, it says it after every day of creation and then after he's all done. It said, God looked at all that he had made and then he saw that it was very good. That's why he stopped, so that he could see. If his hands are busy creating, he doesn't have time to stop and smell the roses. So, when he stops working, stops doing, stops being busy, stops with his list of what he has to create each day, stops answering emails and rests, God can enjoy. Enjoy what he has made. Are you too busy sometimes to enjoy the gifts of God and the blessings that he has for you in your life during the week or especially here on Sundays, the special ones that we have? It's easy to fall into that. But if God stopped to enjoy, wow, well, can't you too? And, and God can be running the world while you just stop and take a break and enjoy, especially enjoying the blessings of Sunday here. That's the Sabbath. Uh, so I'm going to close with a couple things. I put uh, in the worship folder... There's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. This is a beautiful verse for you. These are Jesus' own words convincing you that he invites you and he wants you to come to him, to bring your, your wearied, burdened heart and soul and conscience. And Jesus doesn't say, stay away with that garbage. He says, bring it to me. Come to me, who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. So meditate on that verse this next week and look at the will parts where Jesus says, I will and you will. And that, those are his promises. What his promises are to you about what he wants for you. It's very encouraging, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. That's the meditational piece. Now I'm going to get very practical. A couple years ago, a, uh, a church... Sociologist named Wyn Arn uh, studied churches and studied satisfied church members. And this is all science, but from his scientific survey, Wynn Arne came up with the profile of a satisfied church member. This is what he says. So this isn't what the Bible necessarily says, but the Bible tends to agree with many of these things. But this is what this scientific survey said. The satisfied church members, these six things. They attend regularly. They serve in a volunteer role. They develop at least six friendships at church. I think there's at least five friendly people out here. Maybe six. You can find them. They, when they refer to the church, they don't say they, they say we, they call it my church. They give consistently and they invite others to church. All right, that very practical, what he found. So here's, my, here's the next step for you. Now this involves your connection card and your pen. So get those out and make, get them handy because I'm going to ask you to write something on that blue connection card. This makes it real. When you write it down, it becomes real. So your blue connection card, do this. Maybe you are already number one. You're you're a regular attender. Many of you here that that applies to. So you've already accomplished number one. Pick two through six, or if you're doing, you've already accomplished two through six. What's the next piece of of two through six that you could work on? Or if you're trying it, you can get better at it. All right, write that number down. Or maybe number one is just the place for you to start. Maybe this is the day you're trying to get back to church and you haven't been here for a while, or your attendance has been sporadic, God is glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Number, write number one on that card. And uh, I will love looking at those. And I'm going to pray about each and every one of those numbers for you when I look at your connection card with your name on it. And I'll know what you put. And it'll be between, be between the two of us. I'm not going to share this with anyone. And I'm going to say a prayer about that for you. And then you know that that's where you're headed. Because God loves Sundays. And we love Sundays, too. Amen. Pray with me. God, we want to love what you love. We want to believe how much you love us and how accessible and available your love is, especially on Sundays. Serve to us on a silver platter. We just can come and sit down and enjoy it. Break through the the busyness of our lives. Speak to us in your words as we study them, read them in the Bible, remember them, memorize them, hear them in a sermon. Convict us where we are headed down the wrong path and convince us that you will lead us always in your love with your perfect wisdom and care. Help us hear holy word to make the Sunday experience something that's beneficial and joyful for everybody and a place where we all bring our own backgrounds and our own preferences and yet we can all worship united and at peace because of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.